With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today's episode with Sita Bruzzi is sponsored by Manscaped.com. You may have heard me introduce this new sponsor on Spit with Scott Bass or on The Grit with Chaz Smith. But Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. It took me until adulthood to discover the virtues of manscaping. And at the time, I was relegated to searching Amazon for various tools that were designed for facial hair. And then using two or three of those just to try to get the job done and never really being fully happy with any of them and in the worst case scenarios actually doing harm well manscaped has designed proprietary skin safe technology so that accidents are finally a thing of the past with both scott and chaz we talked about the hardware that manscaped makes like the lawnmower 2.0 which is a foolproof electric shaver And then the Plow 2.0, which is my personal favorite for a super close shave. But it turns out that Manscaped has a ton of other stuff too, like the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing below-the-belt deodorant and moisturizer, the Crop Cleanser, which is a pH-balanced body wash. They even make an anti-chafing boxer brief. So you can get 20% off your entire order on manscaped.com and free shipping. And most importantly, you will support this show by keeping your act super fresh. So manscaped.com, our promo code is the word surfing. That's manscaped.com, promo code surfing. The right tool makes any job easier. Manscaped.com, promo code surfing. And thank you. In early December 2018, I was traveling in the Northeast, and I spent one night, not nearly enough time, in Newport, Rhode Island, 33 miles southeast of Rhode Island's capital, Providence, 76 miles south of Boston, and 180 miles from New York City. Newport is best known for the seaside mansions that run the coastline, and it's really hard to overestimate the grandeur of these mansions. They are much more akin to European castles than they are American mansions. Beginning in the mid-19th century, wealthy tobacco farmers from the south seeking an escape from the heat began the tradition of these summer homes. Later, Yankees followed by heading south. And by the turn of the 20th century, many of our nation's wealthiest industrialists were summering in Newport. Some of these mansions' names became as recognizable as their owners, namely the Vanderbilt family's home, The Breakers, which has become an architectural icon of the Gilded Age. 
President Eisenhower and JF and Jackie Kennedy had their summer White House in Newport. And despite all of this attention, all this wealth, every single one of them were oblivious to the fact that sitting right below their vast lawn of the breakers was a world-class right point. Numerous surf spots, in fact, dot their coastline from little rock slabs to beach breaks. And very few people know that better than today's guest and defender of these spots, Sid Abruzzi. Sid was born in opposition to the Vanderbilts and their ilk on the working class side of town in 1951, just prior to the board sports that would actually define his life. He began skateboarding, in fact, at the age of 11 on a homemade board built from a 2x4 and metal roller skate wheels, and then found surfing the following year. Some of these stories, by the way, Sid details in a podcast that I recorded with him back in November of 2016. That's episode number 138 of Surf Splendor, which I've linked in your show notes. And some of these other details Sid will share today, but here is a brief overview and introduction to Sid from Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing, which, of course, you can access for $3 a month at eos.surf. Sid began importing surfboards from the West Coast in 1969, just before he graduated high school. In 1971, he branded his operation as Water Brothers, and he set up shop in a tiny seaside shack. That same year, he was arrested for defying a non-surfing ban at Ruggles, a cause that he'd still be defending 40 years later. For that incident, he was fined $10 in district court, but he won an appeal in the Superior Court, which in turn struck down surfing bans statewide and helped make him a local surf hero. In 1979, his punk metal band Big World built upon their regional success and opened shows for Iggy Pop, The Tubes, and Johnny Thunders. Abruzzi's embrace of all things punk, skate, and surf, and his retail portal of Water Brothers made Newport an epicenter for burgeoning surf and skate brands and a must-stop destination for any brand hoping to engage with an East Coast audience. So much so that when the skate industry started conceptualizing the idea of the X Games, Abruzzi used his influence to convince the local government to embrace his community of misanthropes, and in 1996, Sid and Newport hosted the second-ever X Games. Local crowds and international news crews watched as Tony Hawk launched from a skate ramp into the Yachting Center's harbor. If the idea of a skate park in Newport started with the mini halfpipe outside that original Water Brothers surf shack on the beach, it culminated with a Bruzy's 20,000 square foot skate park known as Skater Island, which was featured as the second level and my favorite level as a teenager featured in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3. In 2010, the Newport Restoration Foundation, a nonprofit group founded by tobacco heiress Doris Duke, who, by the way, was rumored to be a romantic partner to Duke Kahanamoku. Anyway, they contacted Sid and they asked him to give a talk about local surf history in Newport. And having imported and retailed all things surf for the past 40 years, Sid brought a cache of boards and memorabilia and displayed everything on the lawn of the Duke Mansion, which ended up being the launching point for his first annual Water Brothers Surf Fest. 
In 2013, after the devastation of Hurricane Sandy, the Rhode Island Department of Transportation, backed by big money lobbyists, proposed a restoration project for the cliff walk that allows tourists to survey the mansions around Newport. This project proposed a stone break wall and two 200 foot long, 40 foot wide jetties, all which were designed to block swell and would ultimately decimate Ruggles and the surrounding surf spots. A bruisey, along with marine biologist Drew Carey and Newport City Manager Scott Wheeler, attended city council meetings and gave speeches about the natural ecology and presented ideas and designs for how they could fix the cliff walk in a way that would present the least damage to the local environment. Like that, and like he had been doing since 1971, Sid saved Ruggles, and he also gave a voice to the working class of Newport. Sid deserves a regular role here on the podcast, or at the bare minimum, just kind of a recurring segment. But I wanted to release this episode that we recorded nine months ago as a follow-up to our Temples of Stoke series we recently did on iconic California retailers. Because Water Brothers, while it has been a retailer over the years, it's a brand that transcends uh, not only a retail location, but it kind of transcends sport beyond just skate and surf. It embodies an ethos, and despite its various iterations over the years, it's never been diluted a single ounce. If you wear Water Brothers, or if you see someone wearing Water Brothers, it means something. And you know that you and that person are in a very unique fraternity. And the odds are, you've both met Sid personally, which I'm grateful to say that I have. So despite this long intro, And even my previous episode with Sid, it's really impossible to give a comprehensive appreciation for Sid Abruzzi. But the best attempt in existence that I know of is a New Yorker article written in 1995 by our very own Derek Hind. I've taken photographs of every page of that article and I've posted them on surfsplendorpodcast.com. So if you want to pinch and zoom, you can actually read the article from beginning to end. And there's actually an amazing illustration of Sid on the cover of The New Yorker. So our conversation today was recorded in the evening of December 1st, 2018 in The Pit in Newport, Rhode Island, under a ceiling of historic surfboards with the sunset contest playing in the background. And without further ado, my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with the one and only Sid Abruzzi of Water Brothers. I do. Oh, you yeah. do. Sorry. Yeah, it's the Dave's <laughs> working. Dave's All right, working. I'll go get my phone. And, I'll take and by the way, you don't have to be quiet. It adds ambiance or just uh, interest to the podcast Actually, if there's noise. He in the uses could the word ambiance a lot. Sorry David, about that. Could you wait <laughs> one minute for me to get my phone? Only because I want to. I want to have this to post when we do for. Yeah. To like video on. of it. Yes. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just All right. How about this? You guys actually pay attention to me. Right okay. Now. 
Perfect. All right, now you can act candid. Uh, God, I hate you for telling me that I use the word ambiance a lot. There's so many things that I do that unknowingly and then somebody on the internet will be like well this episode david used the word nuance 18 well, times you don't really like, hear too many hell, people use that word and they, they do. love the word nuanced you know that too yeah but you say that in i think danielle uses that word a lot but then i get sensitive about it and i'm recording he's, he's just having a sensitive moment when i tell him he uses ambience too much i say it all the time Danielle, I say you call her out in it too no. i just said ambience about a restaurant maybe that's why i put it in my head See? and then i said it 30 <laughs> seconds later yeah okay. so tell me when yeah, I we're good. Get a, I'm, I'm going to take a photo first okay. and then i'm definitely going to get the intro sid look at this way all right sid um when i when we were gonna come over here i was telling Brittany, i'm like yeah sid told me like oh after dinner we'll go to the pit and then later he was like oh maybe we could record in the pit Mm -hmm. and i'm like i should probably know what the pit is is it a nightclub that sid owns am i just unaware at times it was a nightclub (laughs) i imagine and so now i find myself in the pit and it far outlived it it is way cooler than i ever expected it it is surf skate and rock and roll at its finest it really is. It really is. Is it private? Are other people allowed in? Should I feel honored I, by I being here? I love giving tours, and of course you're honored to okay. be here. And <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me re- <laughs> let me restate that. I am honored to be here. Thank Sid. you. Yes, you're welcome. Uh, describe the ambiance of the pits. Well, let me just. It started like um, obviously my parents lived upstairs, and uh, we moved into this house. Uh, just probably fifty nine, sixty. And the backyard went all the way down to the next street, and I had a giant barn. We had a barn that had six stables and two floors, and we used to go wild in there. And then when they knocked the barn down, the boys moved into the basement. And it wasn't until, like, late 69, 70 that we actually made a little surf shop down here and played surf shop, uh, started bringing surfboards in, um, one amp, one scrappy guitar, led to another, led to more surfboards, led to more surf posters, med, led to everything. Went from a dirt floor to a cement floor. Um, when the shop started developing, stuff that we accumulated at the shop came to here between closing shops and opening shops. So currently, for the listeners out there, we have probably 50 to 60 70s short boards, skateboards coming from the early 60s all the way to modern times and uh, everything else, posters and pictures and films and movies, and then all the, docu- all the magazines and periodicals from the, from the 60s and 70s are here too. I pretty much... Uh, I've got everything. I've got a fax from Mickey Dora in 1992. He sent me looking for an editor. I've got uh, pictures of all the surfaces that me and Danielle made. And so, yeah, the place is well-rounded in surf skate history. It's a, it's a museum. Yeah, it's a museum. It really is. And, and it's 50 years old, essentially, oh, right? Co- correct. And then what's really cool about it is every single piece, I have a story about it. Right. Like that 100% skateboarder, it came from, you know, a friend of mine gave me that Santa Cruz guy, this this surfboard, that surfboard, every every, every piece has a story. Yeah, it's remarkable. Thank you. Um, and you said 
you actually ran a skate a surf shop out of here? You yeah, were selling I mean, product. Like, yeah. Did the city like, know? Did anybody care? Was it underground? No one cared. Like nobody. No okay. One cared. Um, it wasn't until last week they started caring. I'm all <laughs> so it was it was the first incarnation of the Water Bros. Yeah, I actually have a, a letter when I was in Florida from my mom in '71 saying, "Hey, the tax collectors." calling me we got to pay $25 on these four surfboards we sold like like in August Amazing. it was really funny you scrambling for the 25 bucks yeah that was a lot of money <laughs> totally but anyway so we started selling surfboards and we get a box of four a box of eight a box of 12 and we lay the we lay the boxes down as the floor and then put the surfboards here. And most of it's just like anything else these days, the custom boards. Pretty much every board except one or two, somebody was waiting for. And then we had a they were really, I mean, wax, a little bit of wax, because the 60 longboard shops had all closed. They had all closed. Everybody went out of business. And we were the new revolution. We were like the... It was our momentum time. Um, Wayne Lynch, Nat Young, um, two years after the uh, after the Puerto Rico event, um, everything was changing so quick, so fast, and uh, we were like a huge part of it here in New England. And, and I traveled to Cocoa Beach and uh, Santa Cruz every year. I sort of split it up. I go November, December, January, Santa Cruz. And then February, I'd go to Cocoa Beach and stay there until maybe the 1st of May where a bunch of Newport guys were there with the houses and stuff already. And so then we come back here, came back here. We, I had the first surf leash in Newport. Um, it's just stuff like that that we learned and, you know, we found, you know, we brought the kids Astro Deck and then... Same thing with skateboard wheels, you know, like the guy that started Road Rider Wheels were made right in Cranston, Rhode Island. The guy had a production factory where he used an encased bearing with urethane. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was on a roller, like where his products would go down. It was called Quality Products. I'm not even sure what he sold. And somebody said, dude, you should make a skateboard wheel out of that. And so he came, he came to the shop in 75 76 the shack on the beach and he gave us that little wheel right there oh my gosh the road rider 2 next to that yellow wheel and that was the first precision skateboard wheel out anywhere anyhow and the axle size was different and he gave you a little like sheath that went over the axles you know, the smaller axles, a little sheath, oh, okay. so the road riders would go on it. He said, don't worry about it. I've already heard within six months, all the axle sizes are going to go up. So then within six months, here comes tracker trucks, here comes independent. Here comes everybody with a bigger axle size. And now you have everybody in the world, precision wheels, all one size, no more loose ball bearings, and the skateboard industry just went size zoom. Right, right, right. So when you um, were doing those Cocoa Beach, Santa Cruz trips and yep. bringing boards back here to sell, whose boards were you bringing? Overland. All Santa Overland. Cruz. Yeah, what happened was I worked for Rick Surfboards, and at the time, I went down there, and John Fitz, 
uh, James Fitzpatrick, a really nice guy, gave me four, gave me eight. He said, listen, Sid, not to get too big, but listen, it's, why don't you call Rick direct and you guys work with Rick? Because I was just taking him out of his shop inventory. He was bringing him up. So it, it, it was cool. So I called Rick Surfboards. Now i got a relationship with them. I get boxes of eight. I got boxes of four. In, in the meantime, there's a surfboard industry giant called Will Jacobs who had a shop in Hartford, had a shop in Mesquamacit, and he had a summer shop in Newport at the, that he'd open up in the summertime. And he was the guy, right? He was actually a dive shop. The guy didn't surf at all, but he had all the money. Excuse me, he had the best surf team. He had all the guys. And we were like these scratchy guys that had nothing to do with them. We, they had the jackets. They had all of that. They were all good. They had all the good guys. They were a friend of ours. But we were just on the other side. And I bought one or two boards from Will Jacobs when I was a kid, obviously. But then I started breaking out on my own. So one day after maybe two weeks, no, excuse me, two to three months of selling boards on my own, say the end of October, uh, I had dropped out of URI. I'm getting ready to go to Puerto Rico. And um, I got a phone call. I called up some boards, and the guy said, Hey, Sid, we can't sell to you anymore. And they're like, What are you talking about? He goes, Well, between me and you, Will Jacobs bought 30 surfboards on the grounds that we wouldn't, wouldn't sell you Ricks. And I said, Like, wow. And they took, they did, they stopped. Yeah. And so then the guy, John, who was like the phone guy for Rick that I was working with, had some little deal where he wanted to make, they make the boards and put another label on it called Infinity, which has nothing to do with the Huntington Surf Shop Infinity. Right. So that lasted like a month. I mean, like, I'm over it. And John called me up, and he went to Santa Cruz to be sand for Overland. And within one month, I'm selling Overlands, and they're the best. And I drove out to Santa Cruz in 71, and I walked in the factory, and Tom Overland comes up to me and goes, Sid, nice to meet you. I'm going to take care of you. You've been doing great stuff. We just fired that guy, John. I'm there, like, really? He goes, yeah, he was pocketing 25 to $50 every board you called in. And so I was getting squashed. He goes, don't worry. And Tom Overland became my best friend. Wow. And to this day made the best boards. It was me, Tom Overland, Pat, Pat O'Neill. Mike Grassley, all these guys were in the Hout factory, was in the same factory. Mark Angel, um, Roger Adams would come down. The guy had the aqua honeycomb board. It was Santa Cruz, Robbie Waldemeyer, Wally, all these guys. That was the first wave of guys. Joey Thomas, how can I forget him? And uh, so that continued. Overland sort of hit a rocky road and left town, and then I started working for, for how Doug got very lackadaisical, and we saw all these Arrow guys ripping, and I I said, hey, Doug, I'm going to stop working for Bob Pearson, and I did, and I worked for Bob Pearson for like 
the Sid board right here and mm-hmm. knocked off after the flea board. I worked for Bob Pearson for close to 25 years. Through the 90s with yeah, through Flea the whole, and Barney the and all whole, that stuff. The whole scene, I was the Arrow. Yeah, yeah. I was Arrow Northeast. Amazing. And this area, by the way, is kind of reminiscent of Santa Cruz. Like, it reminds me of Santa yeah, Cruz. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. It was just such a... It uh, it was just a, a you standing up on the cliff overlooking the waves, yeah. and the guys are in wetsuits. It's, it's colder t- here. Co- oh yeah, a little bit. Yeah, well, <laughs> the guys in Santa Cruz every winter are saying like, I can't understand why you come here in the winter. Right. And on the because it was forty to thirty you degrees. Can warm. Go back where I am in the winter. Um, so there's a lot of things I want to talk about. Uh, well, let's actually continue with your board sales industry because or history because. You're running up on 50 years. Next right. year will be your 50th year in business of selling surfboards. Correct. What boards are you selling nowadays, 50 right, years now later? I'm doing um, AJ, um, Cannibal Corvac, Corvac surfboards. Um, um, still dibbling with a little bit of M10 when he gets a couple over here. Um, a friend of mine, Mystic, John. John I've seen Moore. him on Instagram. Yeah. He's is cool. he's is said, Cannibal local? He sent a uh, he sent me a nice board. He originally had a surf shop called the Pump House. Okay. In Cape Cod. Okay. And he sold it 25, 30 years ago, and then just disappeared, and then contacted me in production making boards. When I say like I'm representing his boards, he sent me a board. I haven't physically sold any, and then locally. We have our first legit surfboard manufacturer, Taurus Surfboards, made by Neil Taurus Center. And I helped the kid. Um, I was like, when he was apprenticed through college and everything, and then just decided to go full board to surfboard production. He has his own factory going. He's a one-man deal, but it's not like just a shaping room where he, he shops out the class. There's no place to shop out a glass job or a sand job here. He does everything. He sands them, he glasses them, and he, and he shapes them. And he's doing very well. And this will be the first year that we're going to have Taurus surfboards and I'm going to help him out. Awesome. He's one reason being, even though, you know, I raised a kid, a great kid, Every board he shaped had a name on it, seriously. And it's to this day, it's still. He's just putting his head away and making three boards for Water Brothers and putting a decal on them. Everything else, though, will be back to Joey Smith's board and people. It's all just customs. Yeah. Because he's got a list of people. When when you're a one-man job like that, that's all all he can do. Yeah. But he bought a machine. Oh, okay. He had a fundraiser going, and they did a great thing and they got an awesome machine and there's great so he's shapers. making a decent amount of boards then yeah and there's great shapers around here like uh dave levy um uh dave is really good and uh dave i think is going to be doing some things with tor around his machine tor's letting all the local guys use the machine too. cool very cool We've so traveling the East Coast, it's been really fascinating to see how thriving some of these small surf communities are, and that they're all their own little nucleus. Like, they all it's there's a local retail shop that carries all local board manufacturers, even local clothing brands. Yeah, you know, whereas in California, 
you see the same main three surfboard brands in all the shops, really. Yeah. And there's a lot of bigger shops, too. It's not all small family-run retail. But I love to see that retail still seems to be thriving. Surf community still seems to be thriving here. Yeah, um, I mean, it's... I don't know it's, if it's because you have to work harder for surfing here because it's colder, uh, you know? It's just, as my wife always says, it's it's... It's New England. It's standing on the cliff when it's 35 de- degrees out with the winds blowing onshore, 40 degrees, and you're waiting for it to actually get colder because then the cold front's going to go through, the sun's going to come out, and it's going to be northwest offshore winds, and it's going to be 28 degrees with a wind chill below that. But the waves are going to be six foot offshore. Yeah. And that happens all the time, like Last week, the last two weeks, the waves have been bombing. So it's not thriving. Like the big shops, I'm sure, are struggling. But the small shops have got stability. Like we just got back on our feet. Um, Narragansett Surf and Skate, Peter Pan and his daughter Trish, they run a small little shop. The bigger shop is the Warm Winds. Um now this little shop there's i want to actually talk about the water brothers journey through retail because i think it's an important conversation to have with amazon kind of crushing retail in general um what's been your experience what are the strengths of the surf industry and retail what have the biggest challenges been for you with water brothers um what's your outlook on the whole thing well right now um I'm very optimistic. I mean, we came into this, uh, first of all, we came into the right time of year. We had uh, just ourselves, just locally, because locally, if you feel good locally, you can branch out, you know what I mean? If you don't feel good locally, then what are you doing? We opened up with this street fair they had, and we did phenomenal, and it was just like, boy, we got to, okay, let's hit the road again. Let's do the retail show again. And uh, we did, and the first 60 days of it will be right till Christmas. And um, you couldn't ask for a better time to sell product. I mean, everybody says in the summertime, well, we're not your typical surf shop. We, we, We don't sell sandals. We don't sell watches and expensive sunglasses. And there's not 50 million tourists that come to our shop to because it's summertime. Um, we're pretty, use the word hardcore, where we just sell our own product. But we've developed our own brand over the years to the point where, like, it is people, that's all they want. Right. You know, it stopped years ago with people coming in saying, do you guys sell any Billabong? They know, they know. Um, and maybe just because of the oversaturation, like we have a TJ Maxx here, we have a Marshalls here. They all have Volcom in there. They all have Billabong in there. Right. And so, like, so why if you want carry that it? stuff? Why do you go to a surf shop? Yes. Yeah. And then the marketing those guys have, just on your emails, on your phone alone, 30, 40% off wholesale. I would know what to do if I sold those products right. and kept seeing those ads. So I think last time we talked was two or three years ago, and you had just closed a retail store. Correct. Now you just reopened a retail store. Correct. How long has this one been open? 
two months, two months, two months, right into the Christmas season, which yeah. is why you're talking yeah. about. Like and, Santa's driving around the shop. <laughs> and what's the experience been like? It's been great. Good. It's been great. Um, it's been great. Everyone, first of all, everyone's really excited, and like people that so far, like I always tell Danielle and everybody, like it's not to the like the real people that shop Water Brothers don't start shopping to two or three weeks before Christmas. And mostly, I could really narrow it down to one week before Christmas. Everybody's last work paycheck. Yeah. They get their paycheck, boom, they're in Water Brothers with their last paycheck, buying all the hoodies, buying the beanies, buying maybe a skateboard for their little nephew or something. Um, but right now, we're... In the big leagues where we got the grandmas coming in and the mothers coming in early and our numbers are very good for this time of year so um everyone's really stoked to have the shop back i'm really surprised about the people who say it's really nice having us back that i've never even seen before really you know and then i ran into a couple um families today that their sons live in California. Their sons live in Hawaii. They heard that Water Brothers reopened through social media, and they sent their mom to the shop. Yeah, they're stoked. It's reopened. Mom, grab this. And so we we sold a lot of T-shirts that were going to Hawaii today. A bunch of long sleeves going to California today. So it's all been good. What um, do you distribute the Water Brothers brand through any other retail? Um, at one point I did. It was funny you say that. I closed the retail shop one time and we made a home factory here. And uh, I was involved with uh, two partners. And I went up the coast and I told everyone that we're not going to be a retail store anymore because I, I feel guilty selling to them. And then having a retail store, I didn't feel right to me. So I, I told all the guys, but they were all my friends that owned those shops. And we at one point had 13 stores in a matter of like six days. And they all basically ordered the same three to $500 box, you know what I mean? And then in six months, maybe eight months into that, um, a shop opened up and we were leaning towards retail again just yeah. to have a daily a daily number so that's when we opened up the shop and that did a 10-year run from that and so i just let my my uh i called the guys up at the shops said hey guys we're opening up a shop the catalyst had our stuff the right coast had our stuff in new jersey reggie bonds bought uh, a couple thousand uh t-shirts to distribute them through Eastern Surface Gate Supply. And then eight shops in New England carried us up. So there was something going on. Um, you know, but we were, um, we didn't have our, uh, the quality of our, our T-shirts were basic. And we, you know, we just started improving over the last six or seven years to where all of our merchandise is top shelf so 
it seems like you could do both things. It seems yeah, like you could have like a yeah. HQ store yeah. and then a bunch, a distribution, a network of right. retailers. That and you that's why I think that little store is so cool because we're also working uh, to go Warner Brothers online. Yeah. And um, limiting maybe four or five styles, three or so different pieces per style. And we hope to be launching in a week or so. And that'll be the first legitimate time we're on the on the air doing that. Yeah. Well, what's your view on um, retail, surf retail in general? Like, where do you think retailers have kind of failed? Where are the biggest challenges? And where do you think there's the biggest? I think, well, if you go into the different departments, let's go into surfboards. All the better surfers now don't buy their surfboards at surf shops. So you eliminate all of that. So is it impossible to carry boards in retail? I think it is. Really? Without carrying, um, without going overseas and having those torques and all those pop-out companies. I wouldn't sell that. I don't sell overseas boards. But I think it's, I'm talking New England. Like Island no, Sports, right. Island Sports and, and, and Warm Winds. They still sell surfboards. 90% of them are overseas or soft tops. 90, maybe more than that. Neil Torres Center, they buy right from his factory. This other kid, Dave Levy, they buy from his factory. This other guy, they buy from his factory. Um, We've talked about on air that a lot of the overseas manufacturers offer even consignment for the retailer. Yeah, so the reseller, that. yeah. So the retailer doesn't have any upfront costs. They can just the boards show up. If they sell, then they owe them in whatever thirty right. days or sixty days. So we can skip around surfboards quick because it's a it's just not viable. Yeah, and then the best way to do it, I think, is for us. Like Corvac comes up here, we call it a truck sale. We have 50 to 80 boards. Boom. Might knock on off the weekend. Seven, just, just one weekend. On a only. day. Might knock off seven to ten boards. Fine. All good. And then, you know, leave a couple off back in a month or so. And then jump into the next major thing wetsuits. Everybody buys wetsuits here all different waves trying to get the cheapest deal they can. Last year's winter suit all over the wetsuit warehouse. Um, everybody tries to make their suit last as long as they can. Like three years on a winter suit, two years on a winter suit. So it's very scary stocking a ton of wetsuits. Uh, the skateboard industry dropped off big time. There's no more sneaker revenue coming in like they used to be. We made so much uh, sales and sneakers and everything back in the day. It was unbelievable. Like, yeah. everybody wanted. I mean, going old school, Airwalks, DCs, Vans. So that slowed up here a little bit because of all the, the Vans has their own store, DC right. has their own store. So all of that, so, and then a couple of friends of mine that own surf shops, when I wasn't a surf shop, said everybody tries on a wetsuit. I mean, you hear the story. They try on a wetsuit and then go and find it online because they know their size and get it cheaper. So it's just really hard. 
a skate to make it in skateboarding, you gotta be a real skateboarder. Mm-hmm. No one's gonna go in there and buy a skateboard or components from you unless you're pretty much a hardcore skater. Yeah. So that eliminates all the box surf shops because none of them are. Well, it seems like everybody's just learning how to go direct. Like the example yeah. you gave with surfboard manufacturers, if they could sell direct to the consumer, then they make more margin for themselves. Right. Same thing with the wetsuit companies. That's yeah. why they're offering the factory discount on their they website or whatever. They want to sell a T-shirt themselves. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Volcom's selling T-shirts on to everybody. So, so, yeah, it doesn't stop. But it seems like you've kind of – what you're – Saying is that you've, we're WB. you've done the that's same thing. It. It's yeah. like we don't need to carry any other brands. We're WB, and yeah. that's all we're going to carry. Yeah. And then you could just buy it direct through the one retail outlet as opposed to right. the distribution. But, I mean, we're, we're doing that because, you know, that's what we've always wanted to do. Yeah. You know, we've been just sh- – throwing brands over our shoulders. I mean, we're to the point where we don't have any sales reps, which is unheard of. You know, it's like, wow. I used to get like 50 sales reps a week in the 80s and the 90s, you know. I just had my first sales rep uh, last week for those wetsuit boots. Mm -hmm. And that was it. They don't even bother coming in. Yeah. Interesting. Everybody's hurting. Um, What's... You guys uh, screened Momentum Generation the other night. Correct. I went to the Florida uh, Surf Film Festival a month ago, and I, this, I read your uh, your your uh, listen to your uh, cast about all of that. I've got a bunch more coming. Yeah, I interviewed the filmmaker for Momentum Generation, and then Derek Hind was there, who I know your buddies with. Actually, yeah, I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, dude, I had the best three days with Derek. Oh man, yeah. yeah. He's, when he's was lived here? Really? Yeah. When was the last time you saw him? Derek was there a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I had never met him, and I was. I traveled all through. Uh, uh, ex- well, I lived with him in Africa for off and on five years, but I traveled. He called me up for the Red Bull Surf Safari, and I was his right hand man for that whole show oh, really? for England, Ireland, and Scotland. Really. Which was wild. Well, I have only heard stories. And I was kind of, I wasn't intimidated to meet him, but I was just like, um, I knew I was going to be recording a podcast with him and I didn't think I'd be able to wrangle him. I was like, it's going to be like a wily conversation, which will be entertaining for me, but I'm not sure how it translates on air really. Turns out the exact opposite happened. He was like super cogent, very kind of linear in his storytelling. I had the best, the best time with him and we surfed a ton. He's unbelievable. So, yeah. Super he can get get around you and come in all angles and get a question. And he does everything. What he's was shocking? He's great friends with my wife, too. Well, so I thought, I know him to be a talker and a thinker. And I was like, okay, he's going to be doing all of the talking. What I was shocked by was every he would actually engage with people and ask them about he themselves. He wants to know what you're he thinking. He does, exactly. So he'd walk up. We were all having dinner one night. And he knew the five people at the table that he was sitting at, but he didn't know the 10 other people at the other ends of the table. He got up, excused himself from those people, walked down, sit, and looked across the table and goes, hey, what's your name? What do you do for a living? And then listened. And then that person talked. He turned to the other person. Hey, what do you do for a living? And I was like, 
I was not expecting that. Yeah. You know? I mean, one day, like, we were driving, we woke up, and we are driving right down the street, just across the street, down the street, the way I go to the beach. And he goes, how many times have you driven down this road to go to the beach? <laughs> that's like 50 years of, of, I mean, I said, wow, that's the first time anybody I ever even thought of that. Like Derek just comes up with this so off-the-wall stuff. Yeah. Well, the reason I was bringing that up was um, I was raised on surf film, as I think we all were. And um, in the last decade and a half, I've kind of not really been watching long, like kind of 50-minute long feature-length surf films. And it's largely because the internet is available and my attention span is shorter than it's ever been. And um, I've kind of lamented that, you know, I kind of look back the last 10 years and I'm just like, shoot, I can't really remember the last time I watched a surf film. Right. But I go to these this Florida Surf Film Festival and they've curated this unbelievable community, this experience where everybody comes out, they watch it collectively, people watch attentively. It's not like there's a bunch of people getting drunk and just not watching. Yeah. Everybody's actually watching. And I was curious, and I, I, th that's kind of a, credit to those guys and what they're doing there because i don't see that happening in huntington beach really or southern california but i'm curious what your experience has been um well that's the first time i've heard that they in new england we haven't had too much of an opportunity to to do anything like that we do it with surfboard displays and stuff like that but what part of florida was that at new smyrna beach okay and they do four screenings a year wow um but what was your experience doing Momentum Generation last week? Were you able to fill it, sell out the thing? Did people like it? Were people attentive? Yeah, people from, from you know what, what we had is first of all it sold out. Okay. Um, now, how many surfers were there? Because it was a Newport film presentation, they sold the tickets. Water Brothers didn't sell the tickets, so. I would say probably more, but at least half the crowd didn't surf. Maybe more. No? It's, it seemed to me like a lot of people were just interested in surfing. They belonged to the Newport Film Festival. So the, the, so people, who don't, the, middle, the people who don't surf are just interested in film. They're yeah. actually like fans of documentary. Yeah. 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 That's cool. I think it's amazing. Yeah. And that, that film was good. I mean, it, the surfing action was good. This good story, I guess. And um, I had remembered momentum at all. I I sort of like watched it a couple times. But I wasn't like the guys were watching it all the time. I was I was doing a lot of Josh Palmer films. Oh yeah. You know, I was watching tons the, of his films. The Kill One Through Seven. Yeah, and then I was watching. Um, just all of his stuff because I lived in Santa Cruz. Right. And uh, I surfed those breaks. So I related to him, but I watched all Josh's films. Yeah. And uh, Thunder Thunderballs and all of that stuff. And then Momentum was like one film. Josh had like 12 films going. So I liked it. We had it in the shop. We watched it all the time. But What's Josh up to now? What was that? What's Josh up to now? I, I really don't know. Yeah. 
I've seen him um, put out a couple of surf films in recent years. He did years, the Mavericks, Discovering Mavericks, yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but nobody makes a living doing it anymore, really. No, you know what I mean? No. So. But um, what I liked about Momentum Generation, or what I liked about what you just said about it is, we're kind of always looking at something that will bridge the divide between, like, hardcore surfers and the general public because realistically if you want to make a living as a retailer you need the general public you can't make that living right. off of just hard right. well, i know surfers. that i mean we we today was general public yeah exactly and so i think to hear that half the audience was non-surfers i, I think is a so. good i think that's a good thing and the fact yeah. that that is going to be distributed through hbo again there's going to be tons of non-surfers who watch the film and then become surfers potentially, or then at least yeah. want to buy surf product or right. whatever it is. Right. You know? Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's all good to get something surfing. Like, you know what I mean? Right yeah. on the front page. What are your, uh, one of the things I hear a lot of people complain about with board building is there's no young people coming up who like want a glass necessarily. There's probably guys, young kids who want to get into shaping right. because that's kind if of a celebrity status it. thing. Yeah. If they can afford it. I mean, there's two kids on the island here. And uh, one guy has a full-time job as a carpenter just to buy his blanks. And then Neil, and that's it. And Neil makes a living doing just Neil shaping boards? Neil makes a living shaping, glassing, and sanding. Right, 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 right. Um, and then running the business part of it. Is he selling boards outside of Rhode Island? So you have shops um, up and down. People are traveling with his boards outside of Rhode Island. Yeah. Um, he sells a lot of boards. He's doing very well as a shaper. Good. So I don't know his numbers. Yeah, yeah. But um, he's doing well. But that's a full-time job. And then uh, Dave Levy does okay. Uh, like another kid in Wakefield. I don't know. I forgot the name of it. And then Vec makes surfboards in Cape Cod. Yeah. Um. I think those are like the big five in New England. And yeah. I, I mean, there's not there's not too many surf surfboard manufacturers up here. Um, what surf media are you currently following? What's that? What surf media do you follow at this point? Um, You've got the WSL Sunset Comp on all day today. Yeah, we have that on all day. I pretty much have every contest on at all times. Um, I listen to you. I listen to Off the Lip. I read Beach Grit. I don't even look at the inertia unless it comes on like a, a email feed. I look at Surfer Magazine. Now it's changed. Now that we're at the shop all day without cable, with everything accessible, like you said, boom, 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 boom. I have surfing on again eight to ten hours a day with a couple of skate things thrown in once in a while. So I'm back on top of everything. And so like all the latest things on Surfer puts out, I put anything that has the arrow, I hit it and watch like 10 minutes. I try to look, see the time. Yeah. Sometimes something's like three minutes. I'm like, ah, I can't do that. But six and 10 minutes, because I want to fill up the time in the shop where I don't have to keep you know, going back and forth. So I've wa watched a lot of footage and a lot of stuff I, I, you know, that I caught up on, you know, and then uh, I love all the old, old stuff. Um, 
That's why we have a VHS DVD player there too. Like Peter Townend gave me some great stuff that I play, uh, like all the Michael Peterson era. I have all of that. I watch that all the time. Yeah. We even have the Dogtown documentary playing today when you were in there. So like, it's kind of cool keeping that going over here, and then today's live action right here. You uh, still subscribe to Surfer Mag? They sent me a copy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. What are your thoughts? Are you engaged in it? Yeah, I was Good. a little disappointed the last couple of issues. Whenever they do like a Christmas product issue, there's not too much content as there used to be, it right. seems, you know. Right. But I mean, forever reading it, I was bummed out the way the magazine sort of caved in. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, we lost money, but I enjoyed losing money. They say, man, like my partner Rick was cool as they like, we brought in Surfing Life. You had to buy like 12 copies or something. We brought in Tracks. We brought in SW. We brought in all the Australian magazines. We brought in Surfing, Surfer. We're a regular library. Mm -hmm. And everybody would just read them and walk out. Nobody and, bought them. Yeah, and we had like stacks of magazines. At the end of the year, it's like, oh. You're probably the only shop on the East Coast that had I mean, tracks. I know I was. Yeah. But I love them. That's I amazing. love them myself so much. And then I go to Newsbreak and stores like that and go look for them. Yeah, Service yeah. Journal. What? Surface Journal. Surface Journal. Yeah. Um, why do you read Beach Grit? Uh, it's sort of straight action, lets you know the truth sometimes. Yeah. I believe it's the truth. Yeah. You know, it might be a little rough around the edges, but, I mean, that's the way everybody rolls. Yeah. You know, like, they'll tell a true story of, like, what happened on that guy's contract or why he isn't writing for that. I mean, it could be anything. You know what I find? The comment sections tell the truth. Yeah. That's where you get it. Yeah. Like, say, ten comments are just off the wall. Right. But one comment, the guy know, knows what he was talking about, and you get with the story and that comp and that one comment you put it together and that's the whole picture of what the article's about you got to kind of develop a you got to learn the equation for how to filter through yeah. the comment section but just, once you kind of know it and you know who's who well, too. just like anything else where surfing is your life you end up knowing all the players yeah you know you know like when they say talk about this kid and a, a kid from Brazil or Southern California that's a struggling QS guy and this and that, you just know who this kid is. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So, like every time they talk about something, I know the character they're talking about. Yeah, so totally. That's why I enjoy it. What's your take on uh, going into pipe? Who's your pick for pipe and? And the world title. I sort of would really like, well, I like, I like all three of them. I really like Felipe, but I like the other, Gabrielle and, and, uh, Julian. Julian. Julian's in it. I'd like to see Philippe just because he has a, I'd like to see Philippe win it. I'd like to see Julian eventually win it. But I got the feeling Gabrielle's going to win. Yeah. Felipe's been charging um, 
Waimea. He surfed Waimea this last swell. I've seen footage of him back at Backdoor and Pipeline. Well, if you listen to Jamie O'Brien, you have to surf Pipeline to, to surf to win. Yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah. But, I mean, seeing him at Waimea is a step in yeah. the right direction. Yeah. Like, yeah. all of our criticisms of him, I feel like he's kind of been shutting down in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Oh, I remember when he won that junior's title at Huntington Beach. Yeah. I'm not going to mention who, but a good friend of mine in the biz said, man, I like that kid. A little skinny, raggedy mm-hmm. kid. And he goes, oh, that kid's never going to do anything. And I'm there like, whoa. You know what I mean? And yeah. look at him now. I was watching that free surfing all that week that he won that event and was with a friend who was a surf photographer on the beach early in the week before like he even surfed a heat. And I was like, that kid is going to take kid. the title. Right and he ended up in the final with Chloe Andino, Connor Coffin, and I forget, yeah. like maybe Nat Young or something. Yeah. And he smoked them all. That kid. Leashless. The that's whole time. what I mean. That kid. Yeah. I knew. I knew that kid was like, I could tell. I could tell so that I could look at athletes from being in, in sports all my life. Like my dad was a football and baseball coach. S- some athletes just stick out. I'd see a football player. He just knew he was like going to be awesome same thing with surfing it's just a sport and you can see the athletic system and the style and you and you can spot a winner right away like i another kid i like that uh that kid who did good at holly eva matias hurdy oh yeah yeah Yeah. i think he's going to be a a a a sleeper shocker dude that is a deep that is a deep pull you're really watching every single heat if you pull out matias hurdy (laughs) yeah <laughs> yeah. From a Holly Eva comp. Yeah, yeah. Well, way before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've seen his name for years. Yeah. He's been a warrior. How old is that kid? Still young. I have no idea. I think he's only like 17. Is he really? 18. Okay. But I think Brazilian. he's going to be Goofy foot? Huh? Is he Brazilian goofy foot? Yeah, but yeah, no, he's a regular foot. Regular. Okay. Um, What's your surf schedule like nowadays? How often I'm still are injured. You? What's your injury? I've had two new hips. I'll show you. Dude, I don't know if I want to see. Right here. I took this out of here. I'm, I'm only kidding. I was going to say that. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that looks uh, ancient, actually. No, I've Did got you two find... hips. I've got two new hips. I believe that part. I just don't This want... is 13 months old. Okay. And this is eight months old. Crazy. And so I've got a personal trainer right now. Not a rehabilitation trainer. And I think I'm ready in about two or three weeks. Okay. Got my winter wetsuit's ready to go. But I've been hurt for almost two years. So when when was the last time you surfed? Two years ago? No, I surfed like three three a month ago, and I was horrible. Okay. So I went back to the drawing board. Okay. Um, what's that been like being away from surfing? Um, it's frustrating. You don't want to go look at the spots that you surf. I don't like go to Ruggles too much. I am. I go there when no one's there. Look at it. But uh, I'm getting back into it closer now. Open up a surf shop. I got the feeling I I will be surfing before Christmas. Okay. I mean, um, I I've think got there's the great boards and the great wetsuits. I got hooked up. Uh, two friends of mine. One guy made me a shortboard. One guy made me a Seven Eleven. I've got great wetsuits. I'm actually really training hard to come back hard. I feel like I'm 20 years old again. You, had, you, haven't, that. you haven't lost any fitness from being injured? No. 
Did if I fell asleep else? for five years and just woke up on that couch, and they say, what's different about you? I would never think I had new hips. Really? I'd say, oh, I mean, my thumb's still sore. Yeah. My, my hips are perfect. Wow. Um, yeah. what is, what's funny is it, about that? <laughs> is it because you hit the gym every day and your diet no, is tight? it's just because the doctor's that good. Uh, okay. But why haven't you lost any fitness if you're not surfing all the time? What do you do to stay fit? Oh, I, I train with a trainer. What kind of training? Two days a week. Kevin. Kevin Davis. What kind of training are we talking about? Weights. Okay. Stretching. Uh, circuit training. Were just, you... just like I see the guys do in, uh, in the movies. <laughs> Did, uh, <laughs> which movies are you watching? Well, I mean, like the trains. I'm looking at them all, you know, everything. Um, I'm doing it all. Were you doing all that training when you were never, surfing? I never did that. Song. Okay. You never did cross training? No, but I ran a lot. Okay. Skateboarded. Okay. I think those. Growing up, I played basketball. I was uh, all state baseball. And, uh, did all of that stuff while I was surfing. I believe uh, skateboarding and running, I do that all day long and surf all day long. Yeah. We had the ramps. I had a ramp on my job. Really? Then I built a skate park. Right. Uh, which is like the North Shore. So I'd love to have you weigh in on, I think there's value to taking time away from surfing, you know, like if, yeah, I, if I really do too. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. I've never taken as long two as years. You come back, <laughs> right? There's yeah, got to be a light at the so. end of the tunnel. I'm really looking forward to coming back. I, it's gonna be like I'm really looking forward to it. When I'm there training, I'm training hard. Yeah. Um, what do you got lined up to ride? You said you have boards. Cute. I got a six one. So you're riding shortboard still. Yeah, like I'm thruster. Give it a go, and then and then uh, I've got a Seven Eleven. What's the Seven Eleven? It's a Corvac. Like what We're, style of board? Was that the one that was in your truck? Yeah, it's in my truck. Yeah, it's Seven Eleven. You know, just a a cool fun board, but it's this bonzer shape. I made it really thin. Uh, it's all about me. It's just a pop up right now because mm-hmm. of the this. Is the new hip on the new leg, and that's just where they say the scar tissue or anything like that. It's just, and a lot of it's mental too. Yeah. You just gotta climb over that fence. Yeah. Um, one thing I've actually been dying to talk to you about all day, but I wanted to save it for the podcast. Since you're we eating tonight, no. <laughs> Since <laughs> even better, actually. Since you're a podcast fan, huge, dude. How good is Crime Town? What's that? Did you listen to season one of Crime Town? The series about Buddy C. Ancy, the mayor of that. Providence, Rhode Island. Are I you didn't... are you just acting right now so that you don't have to say anything about it on air? No, no I never saw that. Oh, really? Yeah. My wife knows. Danielle, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. You listen to the whole thing? Danielle's from Providence. I'm from Providence, yeah. It I was so good. Well. Did you really? Yeah. Personally? Very yeah. Well. Amazing. So you know who I'm talking Maybe about. I'm a Shadivia over no. here. No. Well, dude, you got to listen. Because, like, the only thing I know about Rhode Island is Sid Abruzzi and then this podcast, Buddy Cianci. Oh, no. and Don't say that. <laughs> At one point, that's the only two people my wife knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's you got to listen. It's amazing. Um, by the way, the dude uh, who shuttled me from... 
the Nantucket ferry back to my car, drove me to the where, shuttle. Where, knew where, who where you, were you guys knew so who far? You were. Um, Brittany just flew into Boston two or three nights ago. So we did Boston just for one night, drove out immediately, did visited the guys at Grain Surfboards in York. Okay, you go to the barn and all that? Yeah. You, have you been there? Are you familiar with them? No, but they came down to all our surf fests. Oh, okay. Great guys. Yeah, they're cool. They're Super cool dudes. And, like, they're unbelievable craftsmen. They're amazing. Yeah. I just amazing thought, I just thought that they were whittling wood into a surfboard. <laughs> it's not that at all. It's like this highly engineered, no. architect thing. Don't be cutting that down. <laughs> and then there's like there's a frame inside of it. It's just like unbelievable. Um, so we did York, and then we did last night. We did Portland, Maine. Have you been? I've driven through it. So pretty cool town. Maine Surfers Union is the shop there. And they carry, like I was saying, local boards. Yep. They seem to have developed a really good local community of surfers or, uh, you know, fostered the local surfing community. And then there's a cruise ship that stops there during the summertime. So it's become like this super heavily touristed town. There's 400 restaurants. It's like this. What, what was the name of the shop you went to? Maine Surfers Union. Okay. That was the name of it. This Is young it Wheels and Waves or something? I don't know I that. I really had to bring you that. The town itself was awesome. Wow. There's like 400-something restaurants now. It's like this thriving, Portland. thriving tourist town. And they were all saying they're like the main source of income now is tourism. It wow. used to be manufacturing. I don't know what, but um, sort of like the Newport story. Is it like when when the Navy left? Um, we get so many tourists. We get bus loads going to the breakers where you guys saw it today. It's bus loads. Um, the amount of people that visit the mansions are just like incredible. Uh, the amount of people that walk historic Cliff Walk is unheard of. So there was. People nonstop today when we were doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. It's super cool. Why um, did the Vanderbilts and everybody else build there? What's the backstory? I don't know. Well, they're going way back. Way back. Um, when the British got defeated in Boston, okay, Bunker Hill and everything, they packed up. And they're headed down to New Amsterdam, New York. And they stopped here. And they burnt down Newport. Okay? They burnt half the town down. Okay? And some say if they didn't do that, Newport would have been what Manhattan is today. Okay? So then they went down to New York. So for some reason, I guess it was always an attraction with this town. Uh, all the oil money and the railroad money came here. Uh, the Vanderbilts, the Dukes, um, uh, the Astors, um, on and on and on. Uh, they all built their their quote, summer cottages here. Right. Bellevue Avenue uh, is loaded with trees from all over the world. 
uh, and the mansions or the Marvel House, the Elms. Uh, incredible stuff. The, you, you the say music room at the Breakers is built in Paris. We have a full Chinese uh, tea house here. Yeah, I mean, you say Summer Cottage. That's what they call it. Because that's what they call it. But, yeah. I mean, it is a European castle. castle. Yes. Because you, they're known as mansions. We're in Southern California, and I think Beverly Hills, there's a mansion. Those are small by comparison to these. Yeah. These are old world European castles, essentially. Absolutely. It's and unreal. Everything is unreal. Like, like in the Breakers, the music room was built in Paris and shipped in. Yeah. The the rugs, the curtains, the 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 everything is just like incredible. The amount of wealth these guys have. Yeah. The Marble House is all Italian marble. I've I haven't seen that or heard of that. We'll one. see that tomorrow. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm excited for the tour tomorrow. The Great Gatsby movie was filmed here. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Which estate was it filmed in? Uh, the Rosecliff, which is you can rent for like events. Hmm. No. That's what I love about this part of the country is how much more history there is. Yeah. In Southern California, if a building is like 30 years old, they tear it down and build a new one. You know, like yeah. there's nothing. Well, this all. is the real deal. I mean, really like is. we've got like the first settlers. Yeah. Here. Yeah, it's unreal. You know, the first pub, the first uh, synagogue is here. Really? You know, it's, Rhode Island was the first state for freedom of religion. Really? So everybody came here to, uh, you know, not be oppressed. Uh, and then the, the, that's where all the, uh, you know, the, they decided like, hey, we don't want England taxing us. And they all met at the courthouse and, and they formed like the, the 13 colonies, you know. Well, uh, I looked up that pub. You said it was the first bar in America. First tavern. Tavern. It was 1647 is the date on that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. And continuously operational. Yeah. Which is crazy. So. All right. Uh, should we go eat? Yeah. All right. Well, it's been great. Thanks, Sid. Good to catch up. Yeah. Follow Sid on Instagram at Water Brothers and see photos of the pit and my tour with Sid through Newport, Rhode Island on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then, of course, thanks to manscaped.com for supporting today's show and helping me get to Newport. Use promo code SURFING to save 20% off your entire order. You'll get free shipping, and most importantly, you will help support this show. Thanks for doing that. Man, cannot thank Sid Abruzzi enough for um, being a fan of this podcast. Since the early days, I was receiving messages from him. So I'm thrilled to have developed a relationship with him over the years. I've seen him uh, in California and Florida and Rhode Island. So thanks, Sid, for taking so much time to spend with Brittany and I uh, as we traveled through Newport. And listeners, I insist you go and read that Derek Hind piece in The New Yorker of Sid that's really kind of an amazing little piece of surf journalism that was designed for the general population. So check that out. It's on surfsplendorpodcast.com where you can also leave a comment in the comment section for Sid. I will make sure that he sees all of those. 
You can see everything else that we discussed on that same page. And then if you want to support this show through the end of the month, we are giving away that Rawson custom-made surfboard to one lucky donor to this show. And you can also earn a second entry to win that board by using the promo code podcast on spyoptic.com when you buy a pair of sunglasses or goggles. So again, double your chances to win that Pat Rawson custom-made shortboard. He will make it for you. I'll pluck a lucky winner next week on October 1st. Post it in my Instagram stories and then um, contact that person. And again, put you in contact with him directly, with Rawson directly, and he'll build that board for you. So really cool stuff going on this month. Thank you so much. Um, One other way to support the show that won't cost you a dime is just to rate and review it in iTunes or whatever app you listen in. And again, that just helps other people find it. I'm sure there's people that would love to hear this story from Citabruzzi who do not know that this exists. So help in that way if you can. And then I will be back next week with an all-new episode of Surf Splendor. Until then, this is David Scales signing off and reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on.